the church. How are you doing this morning? Everybody doing great. I love that song, man. Here is in heaven. Um, as, I was, as I was singing that song this morning, I, I, I don't know why. I feel like I just, I don't know. Every time, I, every time the Lord just moves in worship, I just can't help but cry. Some people laugh. Some people, like, get crunk, raising their hands, doing backflips, whatever you want to do. I just cry. I'm just like, can't, I'm just like, just messed up. Um, so if you see me crying, it's not, I'm, I'm okay. I promise you, I just love Jesus. And like, I just, his presence just overwhelms me this morning. I just want to tell you that because this morning as I was just praying and singing, like this morning, I believe in our, my heart, my whole heart, that somebody needs to meet Jesus this morning. Not, not the Jesus that's on a stained glass window or one you met in your Bible school and your, your church you grew up in, but one that really wants to have a relationship with you that wants to change your life and put you on a, on a path to serve him for the rest of your life. That's what he wants. He wants, he wants your heart, not your words. And this morning, I believe that Jesus wants to set some people free from some things they're dealing with, from places they've been, from things they've allowed in their life. And I, I just know that Jesus is about freedom. He's come to set the captive free. Okay? That means freedom. And that's where, that's where freedom comes is, is following Jesus and seeing him for who he is as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This morning, I don't know where you're at, and I'm just, if, you're, if it's your first time here, like Eric said, like, we're honored that you came to worship with us, but I, one thing I know in my heart is that we're not trying to, to form another religious ceremony where we're just, we're just coming in here and, and doing some um, pleasantries to God and then going home. That's not what we're trying to do here. We're trying to celebrate what God's doing around us because I truly believe that God's moving. He's active. He's an active God. He's not a dead, dormant, or sleeping God. He's a God that's on the move. He wants to move in the hearts of his people to put them on mission to see the kingdom come on this earth like it is in heaven, like that song just talked about. And so this morning, I pray that that's what you would sense here. And I, we're honored that you're here, but I pray that you would sense something different here. We believe that God is doing something pretty special here. And, and I, I think now is a great time. If, if you don't have a church home, jump on board. This is a great time. We're six months old. God's doing a lot. God's doing a lot. And so, and so I, I just want to... And so I, I just want to jump right in this morning. Is that okay? Because I've been known as a pastor just to kind of have these long intros, you know. You know I, but anyway, but my thing is I just want to jump right in because this is such a good topic. You know, if, you, if you've been involved in our church in, in the past few months, you know that we've been following our 412 reading plan each week. And last week we introduced um, week one of a two-week series, which means this is last week, of Romans, of Romans okay? We, we cover Romans 6. Um, and if you, if you know about Romans 6, it's, it's pretty intense. Like Romans is an intense book. And if you're reading this plan, then you should be familiar with the sermon topics from each, each week to week. As you're reading your, your, your 412 reading plan, you come to this church, you're like, oh, I read that this week. That's pretty cool, right? It's like you get like, a, you get like an overdose of it, which is really cool. And, and we're reading through the Bible as a church. And if you don't know anything about Connection Church, uh, we're, we're one church with many locations. We have five campuses all over Southeast Georgia who are doing the same thing that we're doing right here this morning and, and preaching out of the same scripture that you guys are hearing this morning all over Southeast Georgia. And we're reading the same reading plan together, one church moving forward for the gospel, for the kingdom. That's pretty awesome, right? And so that's what you're a part of. Okay, and so don't just sit on the sidelines, jump in. And so what I said earlier, Romans is going to answer what I just talked about, about being free. Romans 8, if you can grasp Romans 8, if you want to go ahead and turn there, you can. If you can grasp Romans 8 this morning, you're going to understand what freedom is and what God's called us to in that. And so who has, who's been reading their 412 reading plan? I ask this every week. Okay, there's a few of us. Okay, who, if, if you don't have one, if you don't have a 412 reading plan if you, and you want one, raise your hand right now. I'm Leave them up because we're going. We got some ushers coming up. They're they're not ushers. They're called connectors. Okay, um, and so they're going to bring you. They're going to bring you a four twelve reading plan. I'm going to fire you. You don't see me next week, um, but somebody I'll be here. I promise. Okay, awesome. So, like, look. If you look on there, there's there's dates and there's and there's verses and it goes straight through. And it's okay if you hadn't started at the beginning. Find the date and start. Start right where we are tomorrow. So whatever tomorrow's date is, start there and just goes. It goes to the end of the year, and then we'll start over in January, right? That's cool. Awesome. It's great. It's great. And so last week, as we introduced Romans, we talked about how weighty the Roman, the book of Romans is. It's, it's weighty. And if you look, and if you if you look back in history, um, the Harvard Law School used to study Romans because of Paul's just great. Uh, he argued every point that he thought his audience was going to have. He argued it very articulately. Articulately. 
in a way that was just amazing. So they studied that book in attempts to teach their lawyers how to practice law. It's pretty cool, right? So you think about that, that's how it's a weighty book. And we can literally go through this book for an entire year and not make it through it. Martin Luther, I shared last week on the book of Romans, he said it's worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart. And I, that's where I stopped listening because I cannot memorize Romans 1, much less Romans 1 through 16. I'm like, whoa, just calm down, Paul. You know, by heart, having it by heart. But also that he should occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of his soul. It can never be read too much or ponder too much. The more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. Well, God, that's what Paul says about Romans. So that means we should be reading Romans, right? It's the purest form of the gospel in the scripture. We discovered in Romans 6, it talks about how if you're truly saved and you're in Christ, then it's impossible for you to go on living in sin. Y'all remember that? We talked about that last week. If you're truly in Christ, it's impossible for you to go on living in sin. There's a difference in sinning and living in sin, right? If I, I, I sin every day because I'm a, I'm a man. I'm a human I, living in sin means I know I'm sinning, I like sinning, and we'll stay over here and God can stay over there. That's what it means, okay? Living in sin, that's wrong. Can't do it and be saved. And Paul reminded us that, that if we've died to our sin, if we've died to the power of sin by coming to a relationship with Jesus, we couldn't live in it any longer because we were no longer under sin's power, but under the power of the Holy Spirit. Because before you become a Christian, you're under sin's power. Because what happens is sin tells you you're, you're gonna sin. And guess what you do? You go sin. That's what happens is you're under, you're a master to sin. Your sin has mastery over your body before you are saved is what the scripture says. And so if you have your Bible this morning, we already turned there, Romans 8. I hope you have your Bible and we're gonna turn there. And today I'm gonna try my best to teach instead of preach. I'm gonna try, okay? I'm a preacher. Okay. I'm gonna try to teach a little bit. I'm gonna try not to yell so much, but don't make me get preachy, okay? All right, is that cool? Okay, all right, let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for today. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you, yeah, I'm thankful that you came to set the captives free, God, and to put us on a path of everlasting life. God, I pray this morning that you would just bring someone who is lost in this room and bring them to, the, to, to you. I pray for someone who's far away that they would come in to the, to the understanding of the gospel this morning and raise their hand and receive Christ this morning and make things right in the kingdom, Father. We love you. I pray that you would come in this place in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, who has ever filled out a March Madness bracket? Oh, yeah, all right. Oh, that's way more than I thought. That's awesome. Well, here's what happens with my bracket every year. I do it probably every year, every other year, just according to who my friends are that year. You know, I, I fill it out differently. I fill it out differently every year. And every year, I'm like, this is the year that I'm going all the way, bro. I'm doing, I'm going, I know my, I know my teams. I did my studying. I got them all down. I'm going to fill them out. I'm going to win the, the bracket. I'm going to do it. And then every year, Within one round of games, some random school from generic Midwestern USA conference ends up beating one of the top schools that I picked, and my entire bracket's blown. The first game, I'm like, oh my gosh. This year it was like Loyola or somebody, wasn't it? I can't remember. Okay, anyway, all right, so year after year, no matter how hard I try, I, I end up mess. it always gets messed up. I, it, I'm like, whatever, I'm done. Okay, I'm done with that next year. But here's what I know is like, I'm in good company because that, that, there's, there's never once in history been one of those brackets that has been filled out perfect. Never once in history has one of those been filled out perfectly. Last year, 100 million people filled one out. That's a lot of people, right? 100 million people. They filled one out and not one was filled out perfectly. And Warren Buffett even offered $1 billion to somebody who filled it out perfectly. So y'all are gonna be like, I'm going home and I'm gonna get on, I'm gonna get on the Google machine and I'm gonna start looking after every team this year. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get it done. One billion dollars. The odds of doing it are one in 128 billion. A billion. Just to get, just to give you a, a just kind of a, a, don't Google this. Do it after church. Count to one billion. It'd take you 30 years. Okay, mind blown. Good. Okay, here we go. I use this example because, because I think, no, that's a, that's a fact. I think this is a, a common experience in how we approach life. This is going to be my year. I, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm going after it this year. This is going to be my year. I'm gonna, my life's going to be awesome. You know, you know, how many New Year's resolutions do we have? Who does a New Year's resolution every year? Okay, somebody has a New Year's resolution every year. I'm going to stop drinking. This is going to be my year. I stop drinking. I'm going to work out every day. I'm going to go on that diet that I say I'm going to do every Monday. And then I'm going I'm to be more disciplined with my Bible. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to, man, I'm going to be a, the best mom that my son or daughter has ever had. That doesn't make sense. But, okay, you know, I'm going I'm to be, be the best parent. 
I'm gonna be the best employee. I'm gonna do whatever it takes. I'm gonna be more disciplined. And then two weeks in, you're like, next year's gonna be my year, right? <laughs> you know, that's in that. And two weeks into it, that's where we're at. We're like, you know, you know what? You only live once, you know? That's wrong, because you only live for eternity somewhere. So think about that. All right, so it's like, it's like there's something inside of us where we're our own worst enemy. Can, can we relate to that this morning? There's something inside of us that we're our own worst enemy. We made these goals and then we talk ourselves out of keeping those goals. It's weird. Isn't it weird? I'm weird. I mean, we can all be weird. It's cool. It's weird. But isn't that how we approach faith too? And our faith, we're like, this is the year I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to spend more time with Jesus. I'm going to get in the Bible. I'm going to get in that Bible study. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to lead a connect group. Woo, I'm in. But a couple of weeks in, we stumble and fall. We're like, is it even worth it? Is God even hearing my prayers? Is, 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 I don't feel it. I don't feel it. And there's some reason why this is the common experience for all of us. And this morning, we're going to dive back into Romans like we talked about. And Paul's going to explain the what and the why of that is and, and really offer us a solution to how you and I are intended to live this Christian life from beginning to end. Who wants that equation this morning? I do. I want it. It's in Romans. It's right there the whole time for hundreds and thousands of years. It's been right here. Just get in your Bible. Here we go. And that's where we're going to be at. It's going to be between Romans 7 and Romans 8. So if you're in Romans 8, where I told you to turn, go back a few verses into the last part of Romans 7, and that's where we're going to be. Because I believe Romans 8, Romans chapter 8, in many theologians' opinion, and I'd be one of those, I'm not a theologian, but I have an opinion, is, is the pinnacle of all scriptures. Romans 8 is the pinnacle of all scriptures. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, Romans is, you know, he was talking about the books of the Bible being stacked on top of each other as a bunch of gems, like precious gems, all the books are just like precious gems to the world, to your heart, to your mind. He says, of one of the brightest gems of all, someone has said that the whole of the scripture, the brightest and the most illustrious flashing stone or collection of stones is the epistle of Romans. And that of these, chapter eight is the brightest stone in that cluster. The most moving chapter in Romans and in the Bible is Romans chapter eight. So that's important to read, right? We need to read chapter eight of Romans. Okay, live there, stay there. John Piper, uh, for all you Calvinist stuff, the, the greatest book in the world. He says the greatest book in the world, the Bible, the greatest letter in the Bible, in the book, Romans. The greatest chapter in that book is chapter eight. And so understanding Romans eight is so important as we seek to understand the gospel because this is the gospel. Romans eight is the gospel for us this morning. And so last week we talked about how a large number of churchgoers, that would be you, that would be me, that we don't understand the, we have a very limited understanding of the gospel. We need to understand it more. And so if, if, if that is you, then today I hope you gain a very good clarity on what it means to follow Jesus because nowhere in Scripture do we have more facts about God's love for us and more info about how God saves us and, and what God has done to save us. So pay attention this morning as we read. And so to understand Romans 8, you have to know Romans 7. Romans 8 is the response to Romans 7. You got me? We good? So Romans 8 is the response to Romans 7. So we're gonna look at Romans 7, chapter 7, verses 15 through 19, and then we're gonna look at 24 through 25. And as you're reading this, be sure of this. Paul is a Christian while he's writing this, okay? So understand that, okay? So I think we can probably find some, some probably some encouragement through these verses this morning. So let's read together. Uh, verses 15 through 19, it says this. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Who can relate? One person, two people, okay. We all can relate. Like, I, listen, I don't, I, I don't know why I do what I do. What I want to do, I don't do it. But what I do, I hate. What I hate, I do. So listen, it's crazy. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. I know the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That means the good compared to God. That is my sinful nature, for I have, the, I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. So Paul is like, what is wrong with me? What? And so he's saying, at, at, at some points, this sounds like a tongue twister, doesn't it? It's like, blah, 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 blah. I do, don't do, don't. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. I'm like, Paul, are you drunk, bro? Like, he's like, are you, what's happening right here? Like, no, Paul, you sound real crazy right now because I'm not, it's just, you're putting the sentences weird and it's crazy. He's not crazy because like, we all feel that way. I don't know why I do what I do. Like, I, I want to do good, but my body, my mind and my soul just keep going the opposite way that I want it to go, right? I set myself up and then I go this way. 
He's not crazy, guys, but all, I mean, all you perfect people out there may not admit it, but this is 100% of Christians. This is where we find ourselves. And Paul comes to a place where he's like, what's wrong with me? And the answer he comes to is found in verse 24. So if I turn over to verse 24, he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that says subject to death? All right, he says who, not what? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then I myself in my mind, I'm a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, I'm a, I'm a slave to the law of sin. And so you see, he says, what a wretched man I am. No good thing dwells in me. In other words, what he's saying is, what is you know what's wrong with me, guys? Me, I'm wrong with me, okay? I'm wrong with me. Michael's wrong with Michael. That's what's wrong with me, is me. I'm wrong. We don't like to admit that sometimes. And, you know, I, and what am I going to do about it? He, say, he, says, he says, guys, Paul's wrong with Paul. And you know what? What am I going to do about it? And then he takes his eyes off himself. And that's where many of us need to do this morning. Take your eyes off yourself because you can do nothing in your own power to save yourself. Okay? So he takes his eyes off himself and he says, who will deliver me? Not what will deliver me, not, but who? Not what thing must I do to get cleaned up, but who will deliver me? Not, not what religion must I follow to get clean, but who will, who will do that? I need, so he says, I need someone to do for me what I can't do in my own power, is what he's saying. Y'all hear that? We good? We awake this morning? We good? Okay, we gotta wake up. I'm gonna come in, I'm gonna come in the crowd and start preaching. Awesome. And then he answers. He says, he's, he answers his own question in verse 25. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me, what? Through, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you start in Romans 8, 1, where we're about to go to, you'll miss the struggle going on in Romans 7, and then you'll miss the really good news of the gospel in Romans 8, 1. And so hear this this morning as we read Romans 8, 1. Think about what I just read, okay? So let's start in Romans 8, 1. We're going to go verse by verse, Romans 8, 1 through 11. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's good news. It's great news this morning. Therefore, looks back at Romans 7. Because I've been justified by Jesus, because I've been, I've been set free by Jesus, because he's delivered me from, my, from me, because of that, therefore, that therefore points backwards, therefore, there's now no condemnation. He's saying, I'm wretched. Who can save me? Thank you, Jesus. That's what he's saying, right? I'm wretched. Who can save me? Thank you, Jesus. So therefore, because of Jesus, there's now, right now, not in the future, not until I get myself cleaned up, but right now, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And all of Romans 8 can be summed up into those two words, no condemnation. So say that with me, no condemnation. That's big. The word condemnation is a legal term. We have any lawyers in here? Okay, I didn't think so. All right. The word condemnation is a legal term that means no charge or no debt is what it means. No charge or no debt. That in the end, in the grand scheme, in the grand judgment of your life, for those that are in Christ Jesus, there's no charge and no debt. That's good news of the gospel right there, right? No charge, no debt. But most of us feel something very different, do we not? We walk around, we're like, oh, I'm just terrible. I can't get nothing right. I can't do this. I, I, I can't even, I, you know, it's just we get in that little place where we're just like, can't do nothing. I just don't want to, I just, I, I, all I feel is condemnation. A lot of us are walking around with a lot of condemnation weighing us down and you're not able to live in freedom that God's called you to do, to do the things he's called you to do because of the condemnation that you're carrying on your shoulders. This morning, that's what I'm talking about. It's about becoming free from those things. And, it's, it, and so the problem with the type of condemnation that you feel and that I feel is it's not the legal type that, that Paul was talking about. It's the construction type of, of condemnation or condemned where someone has inspected a building and slapped a sticker on that sucker that reads, unfit for use. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. It's not, the, it's not the legal term anymore. It's the construction term. And that's where Satan likes to keep Christians. And that's why you see a bunch of Christians who say, I love Jesus. I can worship Jesus. I can get a Bible study. But other than that, I'm pretty much ineffective. Right? That's where a lot of Christians find themselves. But God has called us to live in power. And until we can get this monkey off our back of condemnation, we'll never live in that power that God's called us to. Ever. And so listen, this morning, like the things you have done have condemned you is what Satan wants you to believe. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Kick it out. It's a lie, okay? That's where he wants you. He likes to recite Romans 7, but he always omits the last two verses. 
right? You can't do what you, you, you can't even, you can't even follow Jesus. You, you don't know what you can't, you can't do anything right. That's what he wants to say. But he leaves out the part about Jesus coming and rescuing you, right? He likes to, he likes to condemn. That's what Satan says. Something's fundamentally wrong with you. Something's wrong with you and you're unfit for service. And the crazy thing is your feelings will support that message, won't it? My feelings, oh man, I just can't do anything. He'll think it's you. He whispers things to us, and, and what do we do? I, we agree. Man, I just, I guess you're right. I'm, I'm unfit for service. I'll just go, I'll just put my nose to the ground until I'm dead, and we'll just, I'll retire, and we'll do, the, we'll do the thing, you know? Here's something I want you to hear, okay? Here's something I want you to hear this morning. You cannot trust your feelings. Stop trusting your feelings. I care about you. I care that you don't hear me being abrasive, or I'm, I'm abrasive sometimes, I, but don't hear that. I care that you have feelings, but I don't care what your feelings say about you. I don't care about that. I care what Jesus says about you, okay? Listen, listen, he, he loves to whisper those things, but let me tell you what will change your feelings, okay? And if you don't believe me, let's have a conversation after, afterwards, but what will change your feelings are facts, right? You, you, you bring facts to your feelings, your feelings will start changing a little bit, right? Okay, so listen, <clears throat> facts will change your feelings. Romans 8, 1, and it is a fact, that when you, when you get that spirit-infused fact inside of you that, that changes everything about you, that there's no condemnation, your life changes. When you live in that, your life changes. But without fail, people will come to me and start their sin highlight reel. They'll say, Michael, you just don't understand. You don't know about my past. I'm like, you don't know about my past. I'm preaching. What do you mean? Well, you want to talk about that? What do you do? We want to compare baseball cards? What do you mean? What do you want to do? Like, I, I had an abortion, Michael. I, I feel broken and abandoned by God and unfit for use. I've been unfaithful to my spouse multiple times. And no matter what I do, I feel like God's done with me. That's a lie. Or maybe it sounds, maybe like this sounds great, but I just can't stop. I can't I can't stop the drugs. I can't stop the drinking. I can't stop the eating or looking at the porn. Or honestly, in those moments, I don't even care. I like it. But the moment that's over, I feel like I feel nothing but shame and condemnation. Right? Those are, those are the things. Or maybe you say, at my last church, they said, if I didn't stop doing this, this, and this, then God wanted nothing to do with me. And I'm here to tell you this morning, if that's what you've been taught, you've been taught wrong. That's not what Scripture says. Go to Scripture. Remember, Romans 8.1 is a fact that says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, not once you get your act right, but right now. The question is, are you in Christ Jesus? Are you in Christ Jesus? The bad news is that if you're not in Christ Jesus, that there's only condemnation for you. And that's bad and that's scary, right? But you're in a great place this morning because we're going to take care of that in a second. But look, everyone who is in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. You have to understand that your feelings are not your Lord. Your feelings don't control your life. But we, we often live that way. We have to live from feeling to feeling to feeling. I feel this is right. Someone go, who's ever heard? Just listen to your heart. If anybody's ever give you, given you that advice, you need to go home and punch them in the face because that's wrong. That's a bad bit of advice because the Bible says, that the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? That's what the Bible says. What that means is you have to lead your heart through Scripture. Lead your heart to the places that it's supposed to go, the things that it's supposed to feel. You speak to yourself. You preach the gospel to yourself. No, Michael, you don't, you don't think that way because we're a Christian. We follow Jesus. That's not the way a follower of Jesus thinks. We think this way, okay? That's what we need to listen to. And if I, if I can encourage you, listen, for you to understand that, that your feelings are not your Lord, you have to quote those facts over and over again. And if I can encourage you to memorize one scripture for the rest of your life, Romans 8.1 would be one of the most important verses to your daily walk with Jesus. Because whenever Satan comes in with his chatter, ah, oh, look what you did. Ah, oh, look what you did. You can't follow him. You don't know what you're doing. You just shout, nope, 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 that ain't right. There's no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ Jesus. Thank you, hallelujah. And you walk away and you go about your day. You shut him up because he's an enemy and he's a liar. And if you are still saying, how can that be? How can there be no condemnation? You don't know what I've done, where I've been, what I think, what I struggle with. Let's read, let's read uh, verse two. It'll, it'll give us the how can that be, okay? This is going to explain how there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because... Through Christ Jesus, the law of, of the Spirit who gives life has set you free. So basically, Jesus gives you life and Jesus gives you freedom. Those are two awesome things, right? 
If you don't have those things, you're either stifling the spirit or you're not saved, okay? Those are your two options. He comes, he gives you freedom, he gives you life. What are you doing with it? Okay, listen, that's what he does. He gives you, he's coming to set you free from the law of sin and death. So there's, there's, there's a law of try harder, try harder, the one that leads to sin and death. Try harder that leads to exhaustion. Then there's the law of the spirit of, of life that leads to freedom. Okay, this is what this means. If you've surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, if he's your Lord and Savior, both of those, not just your Savior, but your Lord, your, he's, basically what that means is he says do, I say yes, sir. If he's your Lord, you should be experiencing some level of freedom in your life. That's what that means. If you're not experiencing some level of freedom in your life, then you're missing it. And you're missing a step somewhere and you need to get it right today. This means that you've put the burden of your own performance back on instead of trusting Jesus' performance on the cross. That's what you've done. I can do it. I can do it. No, you can't do it. We just read Romans 7. Remember, I don't know what I do. I can't. If Paul can't do it, I can promise you with 100% guarantee that you can't do it. Because Paul said he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had it all. You know, we have to start living from a place of victory, guys, instead of living for victory to achieve it. The game is over. Jesus has won it all on the cross. It's over. If you're following Jesus, you're on the winning team. That's good. That is awesome. Listen, Satan is going to hell and we're going to heaven to be with Jesus if you're in Christ. And it means that God loves you now, not some future version of you later. That you're gonna, I gotta get myself cleaned up, then I'll come to God. I gotta get myself cleaned up, then I'll come to Jesus and I'll go to church and I'll pray with that, per, that person that asked me last week. No, that means, listen, somebody needs to hear this today, please, is that you are free from that performance trap. You're free from that performance trap. You don't have to perform to get saved. Like you're free from pretending. Listen, uh, you don't have to pretend anymore that you're okay, that you're, you know, I mean, I'm here to tell you today that the worst pretenders on the planet are church people, okay? The worst pretenders on the planet are church people. On a Sunday at church, right? How are you doing, brother? I'm blessed and highly favored. You know, I'm, 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 you know, all that stuff. I'm like, really? Because your Facebook looks like your life's going crazy. You know, like you're like, I mean, it looks like you're trying to put it out with kerosene. Listen, look, it's, it's, you're, you're going crazy here. And, and in Christ, we're free and we don't have to pretend anymore. And it's okay not to be okay. But we believe here at church, at this church, that you don't need to stay that way. We want, that's why we say we want to connect you to a growing relationship with Jesus and put you on a path of taking next steps. Like there's two people that, that got saved last week or getting baptized today. That's their next step. And guess what? They have a step after that. But the thing is, they've gone public. Some of you in here are still private with it. And you need, you need to take a step of faith today of your next step in your faith with Jesus. And listen, that's what it's about. In Christ, we're free and we don't have to pretend anymore. Verse three, here we go. Verse three, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, what God did. That's awesome. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering and so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. In other words, rule keeping as a means of justification can't save you. I'm gonna keep this rule. I'm gonna keep this rule. A plus B equals salvation. No, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. That doesn't work that way. Faith, faith, faith. Religious rule keeping leads to one of three things. Listen to this, because I promise you, somebody that should be at least one person's within these three things. Religious rule keeping is gonna to lead to one of three things. The first was pride, where you think you're better than everybody. Look how many rules I kept, bro. I don't care how many rules you kept. Look how many I broke. <laughs> like, you know, like, listen, the next thing is exhaustion. Pride, exhaustion. Exhaustion is where you're like, I can't do this anymore. I can't serve anymore. I can't, I can't go to church anymore because I'm just tired. All I do is church. All I do is Bible study. If that's where your mindset's at, you've lost touch with the reality of what it means to follow Jesus. You get exhausted. The last one is hopelessness. Hopelessness. Pride, exhaustion, and hopelessness. Hopelessness is I can't measure up. I can't, I'll never get to where they're at. You start comparing yourself to this person. That person's a super Christian. I can't even get my, my shoes tied right in the morning. You know, it's like it, you, you can't understand. It's exhaustion. But being a Christian is not about sin management. 
It's about a relationship with a real person called Jesus. That's what it's about. Sin management says, if you're going to be a good Christian, you have to stop doing these things. That's, that's sin management. But by, but by your own efforts, you grab that sin and you try to manage it and hold it down. Like my sin, I'm going to hold it down. Like I can't let anybody see this sin. I'm going to hold it down. And you can hold it down for a little while, right? It's like a, I've heard a pastor talk about it being like a beach ball theology, right? Who's ever tried to hold a beach ball underwater? I'm the only one. Me two, three. Okay, good. Awesome. So we have a beach, we have a beach ball. You hold it underwater. What happens? It kind of, it, it blows up. It doesn't like slowly come up. It like explodes. And that's how sin is. We try to hold it under. Like the thing is, you may be strong and be able to hold it under for hours, but you may not be. You may have, it's according to how much sunscreen you have on your hands, how long you can hold it. You, know, you can hold it underwater for a long time, but guess what? You're going to get tired, right? You're going to get tired of holding it under. And that's how works-based righteousness is. Then guess what? In verse 2, that's what the law of sin and death is, is that works-based righteousness, trying to hold that sin under. And Jesus is saying, what are you doing? Sin's dead. The power of sin is broken. Why are you holding on to it? Like you're struggling and wrestling in vain. You're wasting your time. What are you doing? We've been set free is what Jesus says. So live like children of freedom. That's what he's saying here. But you see in the, last, in the second part of verse three, that because God is holy and righteous and just, that there is a righteous requirement of the law that must be fulfilled, right? Because he's just. And people say, well, why, why doesn't God just forgive and overlook sin? Why, why did he just forgive and just overlook it? Why? No sin. I mean, he does that in our lives, but overall, like big overarching sin. Why doesn't he do that? For God to overlook sin, it would be unjust. It would be outside of his character because he's fully just. And think about it from a human perspective. If somebody came into your house and, and killed your child, God forbid, they'd have to hold me back, right? I'd kill them. But listen, if they go to court and that judge says, we're going to forgive them, what would you do? That would be an unjust judge, right? That's not justice. That's not justice. I, I would perform justice after he got out of there, but I'm just saying that that's not justice. Like, listen, since God is just, sin must be paid for. But because God is, has mercy and because he's merciful, he delays the payment. Isn't that good news? That's good news. Listen, Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Who's ever sinned in here before? Listen, listen. There's some people that raise their hands. We're going to talk about that after church. Here we go. Listen, well, if you've sinned, then why aren't you dead? Why aren't you dead? Because if, if the wages of sin are death and you've sinned, why aren't you dead yet? Listen, that's, because he's merciful, because God is just, sin must be paid for. Because God has mercy, he's merciful, he delays the payment. But because God is, has grace, he pays the debt. That is intense. Hear that again. Because God is just, he's just, sin must be paid for. Because God has mercy, he delays the payment. Because God has grace, he pays the debt for us. That is awesome. And so what he's talking about in verse 3 and verse, verse 4 is that the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled through the perfect life of Jesus. And Paul explains it in chapter 3 of Romans, verse 23 through 25, very well. Let me read it to you. It says this. Uh, yeah. Where is it at? Okay. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I can relate. And all are justified freely by his grace. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Through the redemption that came by Christ. God presented, presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. The word atonement is also translated into a big theological word called propitiation. Who's ever heard of that word? Who can spell that word? Okay, I can't either. But um, that word is very important for us to understand because what it means, it means a payment that satisfies. The propitiation is, is, of Jesus is basically a payment that satisfies. That the, at the cross, Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It meant that the sin debt that we owe God is taken care of. It's fully paid by the death of Jesus on the cross. His blood satisfied the debt. Hallelujah. That's good. 
Are y'all excited this morning about that? Because that is good news. That's awesome. But if you're new to church, if you haven't been to church before, this is your first time, this blood thing's kind of weird, right? We're not a cult, okay? We follow Jesus. This blood thing's weird because like, what is this about? This, this, what, I'm gonna give you a crash course, okay? It's really fast. Run through the Old Testament, okay? For a couple thousand years before Jesus came on the scene, there was this temple. Uh, you could go look in, around um, Exodus 25, and what that, what that temple represented was the very presence of God in that temple. There was a sacrificial system. And the reason the, the sacrificial system was set up was to point to Jesus. It pointed to, to what Jesus would do on the cross eventually. And every year, God's people would gather together and confess their sins to the priest. And the priest, what he would do is that he would transfer their sins onto the head of this goat. This goat was called the scapegoat. Now y'all know. It's called the scapegoat. They would take it to the edge of the town. They would send it out to the wilderness to die. And it would go as far as the east is from the west so the people could see their sins leaving them. That's what it was. Okay, you got that? Then they take a lamb, a perfect spotless lamb in the Holy of Holies, which was a room inside of a room inside of a room in the temple. And in the Holy of Holies where God was at, that's where the presence of God was at on the Ark of the Covenant. That's where it was at. In the Ark of the Covenant were the Ten Commandments. Y'all know the Ten Commandments. Sorry if you've ever been to Bible school. That's where they were held. And because we break those commandments, we deserve to be judged. Why? Because God is just, right? Got that? Every year, the high priest, what he would do is he would shed that blood of that lamb and he would sprinkle the blood over the Ark of the Covenant because that's where God was. The top of the Ark, it was called, in the English, we hear it called the mercy seat. Who's ever, called, who's ever heard the mercy seat of God? That's what it's talking about. But the Greek, we call it the propitiation seat. And the blood of the lamb would cover over their sin for an entire year. You're like, just for a year? God, that stinks. They would do this year after year after year after year after year. And that's why when Jesus shows up in the Gospels to be baptized by John the Baptist in every single Gospel, John says, behold, the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. Not a lamb, the lamb. That, that signifies the one and only lamb that's going to take away the sins of the world for all of eternity. And when Jesus' blood was shed on the cross, he said, what? It's finished. It's finished. And what's he talking about? The sacrificial system is finished. It's paid in full. So if Jesus, and this is what you've got to hear this morning, open your ears if you hadn't listened to anything else I said. If Jesus is the perfect payment that fully satisfies God and you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, what that means is that God cannot be dissatisfied in you. That leaves off a lot of weight, right? God cannot be dissatisfied in you if you're in Christ. But we go around living like we're not, like I've got to do more to make sure God loves me. Like, as if that's going to be, matter when you stand before the king of kings in that throne, you'll be like, whew, man, it's going to be amazing, but you're going to be scared to death, I promise. Listen, nothing you do is going to matter. And that's a fact, regardless of what your feelings are telling you right now. A fact. You have to hear that this morning. And that means that God doesn't love some future version of you once you stop sinning so much. He loves you because of Christ is in you and you're in Christ. And this is the great exchange of the gospel. He gets our sin and we get his righteousness, right? It's like if I was $1 trillion in debt, that would be terrible, right? And so this banker has trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars, right? And he comes to say, hey man, I'm gonna come give you my bank account and I'm gonna take your debt. So, Becky, I go away from the $1 trillion and I get trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. It's like night and day. It's like, man, that's a great exchange, right? I'll tell you, who would take that deal? Everybody, okay? Well, that's what we're doing this morning. That's the gospel. There's no condemnation because God in Christ was condemned for us on the cross. If that is true, then let's read the scripture, okay? Romans 8, if that is true, verse 5 through 6. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what is the flesh desires. Those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Easy question this morning. Do you want life and peace or do you want death? Who votes life and peace? Okay, who votes death? Okay, exactly. We want life and peace. What we see is that every single one of us is on a path that's somewhere in here this morning. Every single person in this room, including me, including Kevin here on the keys, everybody, we're all on the path to somewhere this morning. Everybody. One leads to death, one leads to life. And let me give you, it don't, it don't matter what your intentions are either. I had good intentions, Lord. I, I, okay. 
It don't matter what your intentions are. It matters what path you're on. I'll give you an example. If you want to go to Atlanta and you get on I-95 South and start riding, you ain't going to Atlanta. Right? Is that right? I mean, that, that ain't going to happen. I don't care how much you pray about it. I don't care what songs you sing in the car or how many people you help on the way. Listen, you ain't going to Atlanta. I don't care how many good works you do on the way down there. I don't care if you stop every mile and help somebody change your tire. Or if you give to the poor on the way down there, you ain't going to Atlanta. Right? The path doesn't lead there. What the verse is saying in verses 5 and 6 is that every one of us is on an eternal path. One to death, one to life. The path of life is the, is, is the finished work of Jesus on the cross, which I just cling to. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I cling to you. The path that leads to death is works-based theology. I got to do more to get to Christ. I got to do more. I got to go to church. I got to read the Bible. I got I to gotta do this. I got to serve. I got to do that. I got to change diapers in the nursery. I got to, oh, I got to do all this stuff. It's not what it's about. Part of what he's saying is if you're in Christ, then why in the world, why in the world would you have your mind set on things in the world? Why? If you've trusted in Christ, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if you trusted in him, then the Spirit of God lives in you, is what Ephesians says. It lives in you. Then why in the world would you as a Christian act as if you're gonna live here on this earth forever and invest in things of this world over things of, of, of eternity? Why? I believe there's people in here this morning, right now, that aren't living in the freedom that Christ has purchased for them because you've set your mind on the distractions and the temporary things of the world that are gonna pass away. And that hurts my heart. And what Paul is saying is, wherever you put your mind, the rest of yourself is gonna go. Who's a bad driver in here? Got one, okay. so. Most of the time when somebody's a bad driver, wherever you look, that's where the wheel's gonna go, right? It's like, huh. So listen, it's the same way with your life. Wherever your mindset, the rest of your body's gonna go. So listen, the lust of the, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it comes not from the Father, but from the world. We can say it like this, these three schemes are from the enemy. They're, they're narrowed down in these three things. The lust of the flesh, you want to feel a certain way. I don't feel good. And so you, so you go after it. All right, the lust of the eyes. You see something that you want, so you go get it. Pride of life. You want to be somebody. I'm going to make a name for myself. I'm going to be good. I'm going to, I'm going to get to this, this promotion, this and this and this. What John and Paul are doing is warning Christians and saying, why would you set your eyes on things of this world and not on things of God if you're in Christ? A lot of us are caught up in this trap of the lust of the eyes. And this is a thing like money and stuff. Like there's, there's nothing wrong with stuff because we all need some sort of stuff in our life to survive. But the problem is whenever you set your mind on these things, and we get obsessed with stuff. Like, we, get, we're, we live in a stuff-crazed world, don't we? Like, get a, anybody ever shopped on Black Friday? Yeah, crazy. Okay, don't ever do that. You ever buy stuff on Amazon Prime just because you're bored? Yeah, you have. Don't lie. The problem is when you, when you set your mind on money and stuff, we've taken our mind off the mission of God, and we try to change God's mission to fit our lives. That's wrong. We, we're not using our resources to make much of him. We're using our resources to make much of me. We come to church and say, I don't trust that church, so I'm not going to give. I don't trust that person. I think they're probably going to buy alcohol, so I don't give. What would Jesus do in that situation? He gave himself away while we were still sinners in the process of sinning that we would be able to live for him. That's good. Some of us get stuck on the mindset of the lust of the flesh. And when you hear lust of the flesh, some of our minds go straight to the sexual, like, uh, yes, it's sex, whatever. But that, that's not all it is. And then, this is when you think you deserve to feel a certain way. If, it's, when, it's when we have these appetites, so you go after it. I, I, I feel, I, I'm hungry, so I'm going to feed it. I go, I go to drugs. I go to porn. I go to, I go to the couch because I need a nap because I deserve a nap because I had a good week. Right, those things like that. I, I deserve those things. Some of us struggle with the pride of life. And this is whenever we get focused on being somebody. The Bible says we need to die to ourselves so that Jesus can be made alive in us. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get that next promotion, to be respected. And that we, we lie to ourselves, guys, even and sometimes to say, I'm doing this for my family. But have you ever asked your family what they want? Because I promise you they want your time. They want, your, they want you to be at the ball games. They want you to be at the school plays and in their lives. That's what they want. And listen, these three directions lead somewhere, but they, they don't lead to the life that Christ has set before us this morning. 
And so as we, as we move on to verses 7 and 8, it basically says that we cannot please God if we, our mind is set on the things of the flesh. What does that mean? We can't please God. And what it's saying is that, 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 is the only, that, that Jesus is the only ruler and the authority and the reigner of heaven. His name is Jesus. That's the only one. And if you're, under, if you're not under that rule and that reign of Jesus, then you're by definition a rebel. A rebel. And we all have a tendency to, to reject God, don't we? But listen, we, we either reject God by rebellion, which I'm going to do it my way, or religion. I'll do enough to get there. And just imagine this. If you lived in a kingdom where you, where you looked at the king and said, you're not my king, I'm not paying your taxes, and I'm not going to obey your rules. First of all, that would be treason against the king, and you'd be dead, right? But this is what it means to be hostile to God. Hostility towards God is, it means I don't need you, I got this. The crazy thing about this king is that he's the only king that I've ever heard of that would leave his throne on a rescue mission for the very people that are rebelling against him. And that's good. It's good for us. Romans 8 9 talks about the spirit that lives inside of us. And what does that mean? If the spirit of God dwells in his followers, what does that make you if you're in Christ? It makes you a temple of the most high God. That's a game changer. No wonder Satan wants to make you feel like you're condemned. If you're a temple of the most high God, that changes everything. He knows that if he could condemn you, he could get you off track. Listen, Romans 10 through 11 talks about our victory over sin. And is it possible to have victory over sin? Is it? Is it possible? We wouldn't be like, nah, you don't hurt on sin until we die. You know, We've been freed from the power of sin is what Scripture says. We don't have to live in it any longer. I think what Paul is saying in, in verses 10 through 11 is if the tomb is empty, anything's possible. Can we agree with that? Can we get fired up about that? If the tomb is empty today, anything is possible. And so Ephesians tells us that the same power that brought Jesus out of the grave, the one that breathed life back into his dead body, this is the same power. It says the same power that is living in me and you if you're a follower of Christ. And that means you get to walk in freedom and victory. When Satan comes at you, you tell him to shut up. Right? Because it, he don't have power over you anymore. The grave destroyed sin. The cross destroyed sin. And so the big question this morning, guys, is Christ in you. Everything rides on this. Everything rides on this. See, that's the message of the gospel is that the enemy whispers condemnation. The enemy says you're condemned because of what you've done, but the Father says you're alive and free because of what Jesus has done for you. And so you're left with a choice this morning. You're left with a choice. Every single person in this room is left with a choice. I can't make it for you. You can put your faith in you or you can put your faith in what Jesus says he's accomplished for you. You can put your faith in those two things. And so the question still remains, is Christ in you? Are you in Christ? And I know that's a churchy language, but what does it mean? And I think Christ made it, I think Jesus made it very clear to, for us to understand in Revelation chapter 3. We see, we see the resurrected, glorified Jesus say these words to a bunch of people sitting in a church. Revelation chapter 3, verses 20. This is the last thing. Is, he says, here I am. The King James Version says, behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. I knock. If anyone, who's anyone? You're anyone. You're all anyone. Here's my voice. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door and welcomes me in, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And I can't make you, I can't make you hear the knock. I can't make you hear the knock. Two people heard the knock last week. I can only present the facts of the gospel, but I want to, I would love to make you hear the, listen, as a preacher, I want, I want to shove the message of the gospel down your throat and make you decide. I would love to do that because that would make my job a lot easier, but I can't make you hear the gospel. I can't make you hear, to a, I can't make you hear that knock. But when this verse says that he will come in and eat with someone, that means I will come in and have a relationship with them. In that culture back then, eating together in a home was one of the highest forms of intimacy. And all we had to do, guys, is literally open the door. Open the door. That's all you got to do. What that means is you're laying down your weapons and you're surrendering to God. That's it. You're saying, I can't do it, but you can. And that's where some of us are at today. 
in that culture, that's what it looked like. And all of us, all we have to do is open the door. And that means, I mean, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Is that, you, is that you today? Is that somebody in this room today who's been dealing with this for too long? Who's been a pretender for too long? I don't care if you're on the leadership team of this church. Or you've been, have you been a pretender for too long? Where are you at? Have you heard the knock of the invitation of the gospel through Jesus Christ, who's come and lived and died for you to, to do away with sin, to wash away your sins, to forgive you, and to adopt you as his very own? If so, I want you to say yes to Jesus right now and walk into a relationship with him. If you've never done that, if you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never said, Jesus, I surrender all, I'm done playing games. I'm walking into this relationship with you, and I swear I'm going to live as best I can to follow you and surrender every day, not for a workspace theology of God, but for a surrendered life, following you as your scripture lays it out. If your heart's beating 100 miles an hour right now, it probably means the Holy Spirit's working on you. So that's you this morning. I want to give you an opportunity. We want, to, we, want to, we want to ask you to be bold because Jesus came and was bold for you. And what we want to do is we want to celebrate with you and we want to help you take your next steps. We want to pray with you. So is that anybody here this morning? Does anybody want to take that step of walking into a relationship with Jesus? I just want to ask you to raise your hand. We want to pray with you. Okay. All right. So that means, listen, if somebody here, if somebody here is struggling with that this week, come find me. Come find somebody on our prayer team. We'd love to pray with you for about that. Um, um, if, you need, if you need prayer, come meet us at the altar. I'm going to pray, and um, we're going to celebrate baptisms. I know it's a little late, but um, come out there. It's, it's, if you go right there, you'll see the baptismal. Come out there. We want to we celebrate Logan and Jamal. We want to celebrate their next steps. We want to celebrate what they've done last week, and uh, we'll, we'll get you out there as soon as we can. But I just, I just want to invite you out there because that's such a, that's such a great time, okay? So I just want to pray for us, and then we can go. If you need prayer, um, this altar is always open. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for all you've done. God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, for us to die in my place and die in our place, Father, it's for the things that, that I couldn't take care of on my own. Lord, we love you. I thank you for what you're doing in this church. I thank you for the people who are taking next steps, who are, who are walking in faith, and who are doing the things you've called them to do, Father, to see your kingdom um, move forward in this community. Lord, I, I pray for more. I pray for more of your spirit. I pray for more of uh, just... Uh, more of the miracles that we've seen, God. We just love you so much, and we just want to honor you. We just ask all this in Jesus' name.